everyone is questioning everything down to their name. Who am I? What is the meaning of my very existence? And how does this label speak to what my existence is currently and what it should be? I'm Gideon Nathan. And I'm Sam Rickloff. And this is Name Dropping, a show about grappling with a name that has a painful history. In this episode, we talk to Edward Onichi, who is an associate professor of history. Edward has spent hours interviewing activists in the Black Power movement, and he shares some of what they had to say. Specifically, he was looking at naming traditions, and he focused on a group called the Republic of New Africa, gathered tons of stories from activists in the 60s who were reconsidering these given names they had that were derived from their ancestors' enslavement. We also talked to Edward about how his work and his love of hip-hop inspired him to reconsider his own name, and he gets into his own personal name-change experience. He also talks about the legacy of the Black Power movement, specifically with respect to naming in the Black community. And he had a lot of interesting commentary about how that's played out in his own family, how they responded to his own name change. Onichi was first part of his DJ name that he slowly incorporated into his personal and professional lives. He compares his own experience with the conversations he's had with activists about why they changed their name or why they didn't. I've always been interested in humans, I think, even before I was interested in history. I was just interested in words, poetry, things of that nature. And I became interested in names in high school, listening to certain rappers who had unique sounding names. You know, immediately what comes to mind is Talib Kweli. It's like, what? where does that come from? Thinking about the nation of gods and earths, the five percenters who when I was growing up, seemed to dominate hip-hop culture through Wu-Tang Clan and Poor Righteous Teachers and things like that. And they all had these amazing names that just sounded so smart. And I wanted to be smart, like knowledge born, you know? It's like, wow, I want to be wise, intelligent. That sounds awesome. And um, I didn't see it as being a, a, a fascination with names at the time. But by the time I started to do the historical research that I'm, that, that is, (laughs) dominated my life for the past 12 or so years, I started to find books that were dedicated just to naming. Mm. And I saw that they used this title, Onomastics. And I was like, what is that? That sounds really smart. And I want to be wise and intelligent. (laughs) So let me see if I can use that word. And come to find out, it's just the study of naming. It's just a study of naming. There's a whole field, interdisciplinary field of research that calls itself onomastics. And you don't even need to say study after that because it is the study of names. Mm -hmm. Uh, When did did you decide you were going to focus on 
onomastics? I think the story I tell the most is when I was in high school, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X and I read Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye. I just realized I knew nothing (laughs) and I wanted to know, in particular, I wanted to learn things that would help me understand what makes Black people self-hating, you know, and that question expanded to why are people so violent? And, you know, of course, at that point, high school, especially getting into college, I thought if I learned history, I could be like a revolutionary activist and change the world by teaching people. And that's just something that I felt like I could become good at. And so I think that's the straightest path that I can narrate at this point. Mm-hmm. To take it from the historical to the personal, how much did you think about the origin of your own name as you were growing up and studying and doing more research? I didn't think about it too much growing up. I started thinking about it a lot in college. Uh, mainly, again, I, I always have to come back to that hip hop influence because <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty. It was pretty big to me in high school and college. And just, again, the fact that people were taking these steps and coming up with these names, I, I just always thought was really powerful and something to that I should consider. But when I started to do research on African people in this country and in other places around the world, I started to understand why people like Malcolm X were like, hey, that name is a slave name. And I was like, for some reason... It's like, you know what? I can't keep my last name. And it was my last name because I thought it was important that what people call the slave name, right? Even going back to the X and Malcolm X is the last name. It's the last name because that's the part that people inherit, whereas the first name is what my parents gave me. And I'm named after my dad. I'm also named after my grandfather. And so... I, I was just, I was thinking, you know what? Last name's got to go. That's not who I am. And I, I talked to a couple people, folks from different countries, and, you know, told them that I was thinking about changing my name. They all cheered me on, like, yes, do it, <laughs> do it. <laughs> <laughs> and they helped me come up with Onachi, which Ona in Swahili, it, means to feel, perceive, or see. And then chi is Igbo. And the thing I like about chi, and my understanding of it is, it's a shortened version of the most high, but it also can connote that it's kind of like one's personal spirit guide, personal God, right? And when I thought about them together, it just really seemed that, yeah, that, that's, that sounds like what I'm about, right? I'm seeking what I understand the most high to be, which would be love, you know, be dignity, would be freedom as opposed to, especially what I was feeling in those moments, destruction, violence, torture, terror. And yeah, well, I had a couple of elders who had changed their names, who I was in conversation with. And as soon as I told them that I was even thinking about it, one of the first questions was, are you going to change it legally? 
I was like, I don't know. Did you? <laughs> I don't even, I hadn't even thought about that. Um, and, and just, I've been a, a DJ producer um, since 1997 is when I forgot my first set of turntables. And part of the naming process for me, again, influenced by the rappers was what is something that I would want to use as my musical self, right? And really just as myself, but me and the music. And so I came up with Brother Onishi. At first, I thought I was just going to use it musically, right? Mm-hmm. I'll just be Brother Onishi. But keep on reading, keep on writing, keep on doing that research and having these conversations with people who had either changed their names or were just from different countries and they saw the value in African people in this country going through that process. And I said, you know what? I should do it legally. And I found out that in the state of Illinois at the time, because I was a poor, lowly grad student, it's the only time being broke ever worked out in my favor, (laughs) (laughs) that I could actually do it without having to pay the legal fees. I did have to pay to get certain documents notarized. I had to get birth certificate duplicated. So I had to pay for that type of stuff. But I didn't have to pay. I think it was like $500 or something crazy. It's like, my rent is even that much. Can you believe that? My rent wasn't even $500 at that time. <laughs> wow. Um, and so I said, you know, let me jump on this. Let me just go all in because why would I come up with something that is supposed to be me and I only I limit it to this one realm in my life, which isn't... the the total me, right? Yeah. So I went on ahead, went through the legal process as soon as I found out that I could. And um, that was the summer of 2008. How did your family uh, respond to your name change? And can you talk a little bit about naming practices throughout your family as well? So I, I love telling this. I, I got to talk <laughs> to my parents about this to see if they were, <laughs> how they remember it. But the way I remember it <laughs> is uh, both of my parents because I told them separately, both of them, I think their first response was, what are you Muslim now? <laughs> right. Not, not a good way either. Like, I can't believe you, <laughs> you know, because again, that's how they understood name changes was with the nation of Islam doing it for religious reasons. Both of them were, were, yeah, they were a little resistant at first. Like, what's this crazy guy doing this time? <laughs> but then I explained to them, I said, look, I'm keeping the names that y'all gave me. You know, I understand there's a lineage in my name. And it has nothing to do with that last name that you did not choose. And I think that that made a difference because, you know, I I was like, I value what you gave me, you know. Um, After a short time, they were all for it. My mom calls me Brother (laughs) Onishi. And she has her own way of saying it that is uniquely her. My dad uses it. My siblings, my cousins, everybody uses it. And I didn't even ask them to. You know, it's just with social media, I guess, because they, and they see me DJing and all that type of stuff. I think that they it just made it easier for them to accept it because that was my online brand. In terms of my family, we have some great naming practices. We have a lot of combining in terms of the family members who I'm familiar with. So on my mother's side, in particular, my grandfather's name is Jory. And my grandmother's name is Chesterine. And of course, that's a combination right there, by the way. And um, my mother's name is Jorine, 
which nobody else on the face of the planet has, <laughs> because it's a combination of these two names that were somewhat unique, right? Actually, I don't know if anybody outside my family has the name Jory either. I got to find out where that comes from. Um, my aunt has a combined name. I know that there are others. One of my cousins is, is named after a fine alcoholic beverage, right? <laughs> and what I recall my aunt saying in terms of the logic behind that was, again, just like the way it sounds. I don't even know if if she is really that much of a drinker, but she liked the way that sounds. And so I didn't even know it was a drink until I was older. I was just like, that's just my cousin, right? Do you mind sharing the cousin's name? Her name's Daiquiri. Oh. Yeah. That's a, that is a pretty sound. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know it was, a, it was an alcoholic beverage. So yeah, I was probably yeah. in, in elementary school at some point. <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah, we do have some interesting naming practices. Uh, my siblings came up with names or found names that were unique for my nephews. It's just, it's something that even though it's not blatantly political for them, it's something that, that, that folks in my family have valued. Just to go back a little bit, because we were talking about figures who influenced your desire to go in this field. Could you say a little more about what was specifically interesting about Malcolm X and uh, his work? Because the evolution of his name, uh, when we were doing research, seemed to pop up a lot in your uh, work and studies. Yeah. Yeah, well, for me, Malcolm X was important first and foremost because, um, you know, I grew up in the 90s in Virginia Beach, Virginia, which is a military town. I mean, Virginia is a military state. There are bases everywhere. And that just wasn't something that people talked about regularly, right? The, the, uh, and I come from a military family. And the whole thing was, we live in the United States. America's great. Defend it, no matter what. And I hear that message. I believe that message. At the same time, I'm thinking, man, Rodney King, <laughs> is that what America does to people? Yeah. And I'm seeing other situations that make me not comfortable with just accepting that blindly, right? And so I eventually read the autobiography of Malcolm X. And even though it's written well before I'm born, even though he's living in a completely different context, experiencing different things, up to that point, I didn't have any role models outside my family who I felt as though really exemplified or showed me how to move through the world in a way that is not demeaning, that in a way that reaffirms one's self-respect, dignity, and stands up to injustices, right? So I recall thinking it was real simple. He's born Malcolm Little, he goes to jail, converts the, to the nation to Islam, takes the X, and becomes Al-Hajj Malik El-Shabazz at some point. But as I read, thinking specifically of names, his autobiography, I realize there's just so much more to it. I mean, the fact that he talks about what people called him when he was a child. The fact that he went to prison means he became state property and he was assigned a number that 
meant more than the name his mama gave him, right? It's that process and his own recalling of that process of getting these different names and changing, sometimes purposefully changing them over time, I found to be really, really powerful. And it made me wonder, well, how many other people have these types of stories? How many of them think about this from time to time? You know, what does my name mean? Where does it come from? And and thinking about African people in the United States of America in particular, how many of them go through at least a portion of that process and they feel a little uncomfortable with what they're thinking about where their names come from and things of that nature. And, and so I really wanted to be able to explore that and it made me wonder how many other people think this way, how many people raise these questions. And for those who, who not only raised them, but were in a culture where that was the norm, it just became a really good area of study for me to, to explore some of these questions. Mm-hmm. And as you got deeper into your study of the Black Power movement, what did you find in terms of general themes uh, about the naming practices that you saw? Yeah, well, at the foundation, many of the people who I studied, they didn't like their, you know, what they called slave names because they were what they called slave names. These were names that they felt were forced upon them, their ancestors, and they just didn't have a connection to it at best and at worst uh, you know, to paraphrase the status of core here just a little bit, it made them think about all the horrors that their ancestors had lived through, right? Another theme is about self-determination. And this is probably the biggest theme, self-determination that allows them to, if nothing else, just wage struggle even better, do a better job as revolutionaries. And one of the ways that they could do that was to disconnect their minds from the broader culture down to the name, right? Mm -hmm. So everyone is questioning everything. You know, again, at least among the people who I study, they're questioning everything down to their name. Who am I, right? What is the meaning of my very existence? And how does this label speak to what my existence is currently and what it should be? Right. So that's that's another thing, just that deep thinking about the nature of revolution, about self-determination. Um, and then a final theme, you know, we've been talking mainly about the individual, but also what about the group? What does it mean to be black people? What does it mean to be African? What, what if African spelled with a C? What if it's spelled with a K? Right. And the thing that I find particularly fascinating about that is folks were questioning by questioning the group name for what what do folks call themselves if they're the descendants of people who were taken from their homelands taken from their original cultures taken from their families their languages all that stuff what does it mean to try to recreate that
know you've specifically studied this group called the Republic of New Africa. I was wondering if you could put them in the broader landscape of black power movements and tell us a little bit about why you decided to study them in particular. So a little bit of explanation. The movement, the New African Independence Movement, got started in 1968. They come together in the final weekend of March in 1968 in Detroit to determine what is the best path forward at this point, right? Martin Luther King Jr., SNCC, all those folks, they struggled. They forced the state to come up with the um, Civil Rights and Voting Rights Amendment. And at that point, legally, they had won. They were full citizens, finally. They were no longer second-class citizens. New Africans disagreed. They said, actually, we were never citizens. Citizenship was forced upon people who didn't have any say in the matter, right? The 14th Amendment should have been offered as a choice that this newly freed nation could then discuss, debate, without the influence of of white folks, right? Debate this amongst themselves and come to a collective decision. And they said because that never happened, people who call themselves New Africans claim as their rightful territory the states of Louisiana, Mississippi, South Carolina, Georgia, and Alabama, which they're seeking to obtain as part of a reparations negotiation with the United States of America. And so um, the Republic of New Africa is also those people, right? As a nation, the, the people who, because of human trafficking, because of enslavement, have become disconnected from the continent of Africa, from the specific ethnic groups, languages, ancestries that they were part of, and have come to the point where they have to make themselves anew, right? So they're new Africans. We wanted to ask you about that. What was the importance of, in the new African's name, changing the C to a K? Yeah, well, in the 1970s, there are anti-colonial revolutions happening all over the world. And one place where that's occurring is on the continent of Africa. And as colonized peoples, they're also questioning these, these names that they have, right? One of the good examples of that would be, you know, Gold Coast becomes Ghana, Ghana being one of the major West African empires prior to the onset of colonialism and enslavement, people in Ghana go through that. Like, yeah, we're not the Gold Coast. That's what the British called us. And there was an activist who's from Zimbabwe. He, he travels to the United States. He's thinking about all this. He's talking to activists in the U.S. about this. And he's informing them that, hey, most of the languages don't use C in the way that you think, right? And so it'd be more accurate to use K. And a whole bunch of activists in that era, that's like 74, I believe, they start replacing the C with a K, at least when they're talking about Africans, African-Americans, and some of them to make a profound political point. They also use that in their spelling of America, oftentimes with three Ks, just to be clear about how they really feel, right? About what, what's going on, about the history, about what they're fighting against. I was going to ask, uh, because we've talked a lot about 
people who decided I want to change my name because of what it means and what history it evokes. Uh, one example that we found in your work was Marilyn Killingham, who she decided to keep her name. I guess, could you talk a little bit about her and what kind of tension she felt between her political commitments and her personal name? Yeah, yeah, I love talking about Mama Marilyn Preston Killingham. Um, yeah, so first of all, she she wasn't one of the original founding members of the New African Independence Movement, specifically of the Provisional government of the Republic of New Africa. But she was around all those folks regularly. She had connections with folks from the Revolutionary Action Movement, and she got involved as soon as she could. As she's involved, people are changing their names. I mean, it's pretty common for people as they're going through, I'll call it for now, an induction process, right? <laughs> probably That's probably not the most accurate way to re- to discuss it, but as folks are going through an induction process to be a part of the New African Independence Movement, oftentimes they would have a naming ceremony, right? And and so folks would be given names or they might have chosen names and those would be their names within the movement. She decided not to do that. And her logic was one, she said, I'm named after my mother. My mother's name is Mary, right? And so why would I get rid of the name of my that my mother gave me that is actually, you know, comes from her name? What is also really important about that is she considered her mother to be an African warrior, someone who was fighting against oppression, seeking justice, those types of things. And so that made her a warrior in Marilyn Killingham's name. And, and so she wanted to continue to be associated with that. She did feel some tension. She did say that she had pressure placed on her by others within the movement that she needed to get rid of her quote unquote slave name. But she just, she decided that wasn't for her. Mm. You know, part of it was she was a devout Christian and she associated the name Mary, which again was her mother's name with a really important figure in the Christian religion. And so um, she never took on an African name. And what, what really stands out about Marilyn Killingham for me to this day is I reached out to her, got a answering machine. And then two weeks later, one of her friends calls me and says, hey, she wants to talk to you, but she's on her deathbed at the hospital. And that's why she hasn't called you back in all this time, right? And so I just helped, so happened to be in the area. This is in D.C. It just so happened to be in the area at the time. And I was like, you know, I think either that day or the next day, go to the hospital. And, man, we had probably the most powerful conversation I had had up to that point. Because she's telling me about her life. She's telling me about her views on, you know, not just the New African Independence Movement, but on on names, on everything. And... um I, you know, I, I did the interview and then I just I just went back for the rest of the time I was in D.C. when I was able to. I just went back several times just to just to hang out with her and talk because she just had she she wanted to talk. She wanted to share. And the conversations were just so good. Um, yeah. So she definitely helped me break out of the everyone changed their names mindset. Hmm. We've, you touched on this a little bit, uh, but. 
One thing I found really compelling in reading your work was all the different ideological strands that people were drawing on when they're coming up with these names. So you have some present-day African dialects, and you've got some ancient Egyptian names you're drawing on, then Arabic or names that have importance in Islam, alongside you know names with Christian significance. So I was wondering if there are any particular names that stand out for you in that sense or just general observations that you had there. Oh, man. You know, it's hard to choose just one. <laughs> uh, the one that I tend to talk about is Chokwe Lumumba. He joined the movement in 1969. He was a student in Michigan. And he wanted to have a name that he thought would one, help him disconnect psychologically and spiritually from the site of, you know, enslavement, settler colonialism, etc., but also would be meaningful to him in terms of his values, right? And so his first name, Chokwe, he said means hunter, and it's the name of a group of African people who were struggling, fighting sometimes to the death, against the slave trade. And I, th- I want to, if I recall correctly, I think he said around Angola, well, present-day Angola. He also took on the name Lumumba, which was huge for a lot of people in the 1960s because they witnessed, even if from afar, the assassination of Patrice Lumumba, you know, a, a anti-colonial figure being an elected of- official who was assassinated with the help of the British and the Americans. And, and, you know, a lot of people understand that to be one of the reasons why the DRC is now in the state that it currently is, a a state of turmoil. And to Chokwe Lumumba, um, he saw the combination of these names as being something that would speak to his values. And it was something for him to try to live up to, which is something that he tried to do through a lifelong dedication to first the PGRNA, but then through the creation of the New African People's Organization, Malcolm X Grassroots Movement, he saw this all as working toward making people's lives better, right? And and that's the connection that he made to his name. As time kind of passed, did you think there was spillover from these naming practices in the black power movement into naming practices in a, you know, less overtly political or at least different politically oriented uh, era. What was the legacy there? Yeah, I I do think that there's a legacy just of the 1960s in general. um, One of the jokes I make in some of my classes, so I, I do teach a little bit about Africa in my classes and we always come to the point where we're talking about Kenya talking about the Land and Freedom Party, Jomo Kenyatta. And I jokingly say, how many children born in the 60s got the name Kenyatta, right? Because that was somebody who a lot of folks respected and looked up to when he was in his prime, right? I think that spills over because even though for the folks who I focus on, Black Power activists, New African Independence Movement folks, they understood names as cultural and political, 
a lot of folks, you know, one of the things about names is people just like the way this stuff sounds, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and I, I never want to minimize that. Mm-hmm. I never want to minimize that. People like how stuff sounds. So they hear, even if they don't know who Jomo Kenyatta is, they hear Kenyatta. They're like, hey, there's a country named Kenya. That's pretty. That sounds like a girl's name. Kenyatta. Huh. If I have a little boy. Right. They People either subconsciously or very overtly go through that process, even if it's not because of politics, people would start to see stuff like that. They hear stuff like, you know, Umoja, Nia, Imani. And again, even if they're not culturally trying to, I guess, quote unquote, re-Africanize themselves or something like that, they just like how the names sound. Mm-hmm. It sounds kind of unique, right? It, it sounds pretty. It rolls off the tongue a particular way, whatever it may be. And so the political realm has an impact on the broader culture. But there's also a way in which the political is really just doing what people had been doing for some time, right? People all over the world, they want names that are meaningful, that sound strong, that sound pretty, whatever the case may be, that they think can instill particular characteristics in themselves or their offspring, and so Marilyn Killingham, she's like, my mom's an African warrior, right? Chokwe Lumumba, gifted hunter. How many shakas were there? How many Nzingas? And, and apart from that, apart from just the African names, people looking for unique names, they start to make stuff up, which people had always done. They start to take on words, ideas, and you know they might change the spelling of it a little bit. Right. Something like patience, which I don't think is a product specifically of the Black Power era or afterwards. But they they start to take on those types of names that are qualities. And sometimes they'll just spell them a little bit different or they'll add another syllable to it because it just sounds good. It looks good on paper, whatever the case may be. And so I, I do think that there was some influence in terms of people taking on African names or Islamic names for those who were kind of close to those circles. But beyond that realm, people were kind of just doing what they always do. Thanks for listening to Name Dropping. You can find more of Edward's work on Instagram at Onichi7. And you can read more about his research in his book, Free the Land. The link to order that is in the show notes. You can find us on Instagram at namedroppingpod or send us an email at namedropping at defector.com. Name Dropping is hosted by me, Giddy Nathan, and Samer Kalaf, and produced by Ozzy Linus Goodman. Our editor is Justin Ellis, and our supervising producer is Alex Sujong Laughlin. Our production assistant is Jay Tolviera. Thanks to editor-in-chief Tom Lay and the rest of the Defector staff. Defector Media is a collectively owned, subscriber-based media company. If you love this podcast and want to support us, subscribe at defector.com. 